just a few weeks ago, I cut down a tree, or had a tree cut down, uh, on the side of our home. It had been planted years ago, way too close to the home. But let me show you a picture of it. Because of the location of that tree next to my home and up against a fence, they weren't able to grind down that stump. And uh, so they said, if we try to grind down the stump, we're going to melt your siding. So you probably don't want that. No, I don't want that. And here's what I've discovered, as you can see, that even after the tree is gone, the, the shoots are now growing again. And, and if this is left unattended, that tree will be back. You see, I don't really have a tree problem. I've got a root problem. Because that root is still there, the tree is going to come back unless something intervenes. And you know, as I was working in my yard the other day, I thought about that and how it's like a lot of us religious people. You know, sometimes as religious people, we want to focus on the externals and ignore the internal things. We, we want to focus on the formal things and ignore the spiritual things. And we want to just give our lives over to a little bit of behavior modification so that we try to be nice and polite. But deep down inside, there's still a root of a problem in our lives. And one of the things that Jesus will not allow us to do as his followers is he will not allow us to focus on the fruit and not the root. He wants us to focus on the root of the problem in our lives because it's the root of the problem that often creates all the other problems that we deal with in our lives, in our relationships, in our attitudes, and in our actions. For example, today we're going to talk about this section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus deals with murder and anger. You see, murder, as far as Jesus is concerned, is the fruit, but anger is the root of the problem. And he says it's easy for religious people to pat themselves on the back and say, well, I'm not a murderer, would never take someone else's life. But they are filled with anger and rage and hostility and unresolved anger. And Jesus says, if you're my follower, you've got to get down to the root of the problem that is harming you and other people in your life. And the root of the problem is anger. And Jesus knows that others get the worst of you when you let anger get the best of you. That if you let anger get the best of you, other people are going to get the worst of you. You may never kill someone physically, but out of anger, we sometimes try to assassinate another person's character. Or we try to destroy their reputation. Or we try to harm them verbally or even financially. And Jesus says, if you're my follower, you cannot ignore the root of the problem in many people's lives and it's the root of anger. And he wants, to, he wants us to deal with this issue of anger. Because he knows that others get the worst of us when we let anger get the best of us. So what he's going to do in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to confront this anger issue. And he's going to call us to a different way of living that only he can help us to live. And so what I want to do today is take you to the gospel again of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick up with verses 21 through 26. And by the way, these notes are going to be on the screen. They're also at our website. You know, we mention that website all the time. It's because everything you need is there, and including these sermon notes and announcements for today and what's happening in our church. And so if you'd like to follow along, you could use our website as well. 
But here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now Jesus is talking here about the sixth commandment. He's quoting it, you shall not murder. He said, you've heard that from old. It's been shared from all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, whenever Moses gives us the Ten Commandments and he repeats them in Deuteronomy chapter 5, thou shalt not murder. And and the word murder means to take an innocent life. This is not an accidental killing. This is not about war. This is about a person taking matters into their own hands and taking the life of another person. Murder was prohibited by God because people are created in the image of God. And it destroys the sanctity of human life to take an innocent life. That prerogative has not been given to us. That's why so many Christians are are pro-life from the womb to the tomb because there is a sanctity of human life because it's been created by God in the image of God. And every one of us has value and worth and dignity. And Jesus says, you all know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. He says, and you also know that whoever murders will be liable to judgment. You're going to stand before the authorities and you're going to have to give an account for what you've done. And you go, we all know this, Jesus. This is the obvious. Why are you telling us things that we already know? Because Jesus knew the tendency of religious people to focus on the externals while forgetting the internals. To focus on the fruit while ignoring the root. And what was happening is the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day were patting themselves on the back saying, Check that one off. Commandment number six, yep, never broken that one. Never murdered anyone. I am holy and I am righteous. But at this very moment that they're patting themselves on the back for not having killed someone, their anger and hostility against Jesus is beginning to grow and increase to the point where multiple times over the next three years of his earthly ministry, they will plot to kill him. All because there's this root of anger that is welling up in their lives. I guarantee if we took a poll this morning and we said, which of the Ten Commandments are you least likely to break? Chances are we would all say the sixth one. I may be capable of some of those other things, but I'm not capable of this one. And Jesus says, well, slow down, big boy. Before you give yourself an award for how holy you are, Let's see if there's not a root of a problem in your life. Verse 22, he continues. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. (laughs) Okay, That slowed your roll right there. You say, what in the world? Jesus is saying, but I say to you, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. This is the commandment of God. And Jesus says, I'm not coming to do away with the commandments of God. I've come to fulfill the commandments of God. But I say to you, he said, I'm going to clarify for you 
what God intended when he gave you that prohibition against taking human life. God was trying to elevate the sanctity of human life in culture, in society, in personal relationships. And if you really understand how sanctified human life is, how precious and valuable it is, you will not only not kill a person physically, you will also not try to destroy them relationally. Because you're, you're not understanding the commandment of God if you think it's just about murder. It's about more than that. It is about treating people the way God expects you to treat them because they are fellow human beings created in the image of God. And he says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother. Now in the King James Version, it adds a clause without a cause. Uh, most of the oldest manuscripts don't have that phrase in the original. And so in some of the newer translations, it doesn't have it. It just says, everyone who is angry. Uh, probably some scribe added a little note in there to say, wait a minute, Jesus isn't condemning all kinds of anger because anger is actually a God-given emotion. The Bible says God gets angry. The Bible says Jesus became angry. There, there is such a thing as a righteous indignation, right? And, and there's also unrighteous indignation. We sometimes have trouble discerning those two things. For example, for me, righteous indignation is uh, when I'm mad at you, and unrighteous indignation is when you're mad at me. Uh, but that's a whole other subject. But there is, there is a thing called righteous indignation, where the Scriptures tell us in the book of Ephesians, be angry and sin not. Sometimes you can't help that you're angry. It's what you do with that anger that makes the difference. But Jesus is talking about unreasonable anger. Jesus is talking about unresolved anger. Jesus is talking about an anger that is fueled by a contempt for another human being. This is not just once in a while I lose my temper. This is a pattern of living that Jesus is condemning. That if you just go around constantly angry, you've got a problem you need to deal with. And everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This is not talking about government authorities because the government can't judge in a courtroom uh, your anger. They can't control that. It's what you do with it. So who is he referring to about the judgment? He's referring to God. He said, listen, God's going to deal with you if you are angry at your brother without a cause. God's going to deal with you about that. Whoever insults his brother, there again, in, in some of your translations, they, they go ahead and just give you the, the Aramaic word. And we don't really have a good definition of the word raka, R-A-C-A. Um, most of the Bible scholars that I read didn't help me at all. You know, they just say it's a, it's a, it was a word of insult. It was a word of personal contempt. So, so you could exchange whatever vulgar words you can think of. Please don't think of that. Maybe I shouldn't have put it that way. <laughs> Now I've got you all thinking of vulgar words. That's not what I meant. I meant how we sometimes demean other people with words. This is what they were doing in Aramaic. They were, they were demeaning other people. And Jesus says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool. So not only are you insulting a person, you're, you're, you're insulting their intelligence, you're insulting their worth, you're insulting their dignity. He says, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. 
And there again, Jesus is not talking about just once in a while we lose our temper and we say things we regret and we, we, we messed up and we wish we could take that back. That's not what he's talking about. We've all made those kinds of sins. We've all made those kind of mistakes. He's talking about religious people who make themselves feel more morally superior to other people because they've not murdered someone, but all the while in their heart they hate people. They detest people. You don't vote like me, I hate you, and I will destroy you. Your sexual orientation is different, I will destroy you. I hate you. You come from a different nation and you didn't come the right way, I hate you. You say, well, thankfully, our country doesn't have that problem. Yeah, I agree. Thank the Lord, America has never suffered that kind of hostility. You're a different skin color than I am, I detest you. There is so much hatred and animosity destroying lives and destroying relationships and destroying homes and destroying communities, churches, and nations, all because of this unbridled contempt for other human beings made in the image of God. And Jesus says, you may call yourself religious, you may think you're right with God, but you cannot be right with God if you're not right with people made in the image of God, as much as depends on you. But listen, you can't control other people's anger. You can't control other people being right with you. But followers of Jesus have a desire to reflect their reconciliation with God through their reconciled relationships with each other. And so Jesus is not giving us much wiggle room. He said, do you have this spirit of ongoing anger? Do you have this spirit of outright contempt for other people who are not like you? Well, you may be religious, but you're not right with God. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account so how about us? How about us? Are we dealing with this anger in our lives? Is there anger that is spilling out? Maybe never that we would ever kill someone physically. Of course not, we say. But are we trying to destroy other people? Defame other people? Just absolutely crucify other people out of a spirit of anger and personal contempt for them? And sometimes it comes out not in our hand, but in our words, what we say. We teach our children to lie, don't we? Whenever we teach them that little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words wound. And Jesus says, if you're dealing with ongoing, unreasonable anger and contempt for another person, you got a problem. And religion is not what you need. You need to get to the root of your problem. You need to deal with your anger. So Jesus gives us now, in the next few verses, two illustrations of how we ought to respond if we feel in our hearts that we've got a problem with anger. First of all, he takes us to the church house. Uh, look at verse 23. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Now remember Jesus, first century Israel, he's a Jew talking to Jews. So they immediately could picture in their mind a man's obligation to go three times a year to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple to worship God and offer a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of his family. 
He's going to go and he's going to offer those gifts. He's either going to take money with him to buy a sacrifice when he gets to the temple, or he's going to go ahead and bring it with him. He's going to bring a goat with him, or he's going to bring a lamb with him. And Jesus says, you're there to worship. You're there to pray. You're there to deal with your sin. You're there to represent yourself and your family before God at the temple. And in that moment, you realize, I've offended a brother. And the context of this talk is, is you're the one who's done wrong. And you, you've said something out of anger. You've put down someone. You've, you've hurt them. Maybe financially, or you've hurt their reputation. And you get there in that moment, you realize and remember that your brother has something against you. That what you did was wrong, and he hasn't forgotten. The relationship is broken, and you remember this, and you're about to give your offering. Now, in our, in our culture, it would be you come to the church house, and you're ready to sing, and you're ready to give your money. Well, Never mind, some of you won't ever have that. You won't be able to relate to that uh, because so many people don't give. But thank God for those who do. And in that moment, you want to worship God through giving. And in that moment, you realize, I've got some stuff I was not living for Jesus. I, I, I didn't treat that person the way I should have treated. I didn't respond like I should have responded. What do you do? Well, he tells us, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Just leave it. Leave your offering there at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus says if that is you, the most important thing you can do in that holy moment of wanting to worship God is for you to leave your offering. Go get things right as best you can with your brother and then you come back. And offer your gift. Because if you don't, you have reduced your relationship to God to just empty ritualism. You're going through the motions. You're hypocritical, saying you're worshiping a God to whom you've been reconciled through his great sacrifice of his own son on the cross, and yet you're not even willing to be reconciled to a brother that you have wronged. Go get it right, Jesus says. Go deal with that. Have you ever wondered why whenever we have communion that we always pause before we partake of the bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus and the juice that symbolizes the blood of Jesus? And we, we pray and we say, God, would you speak to us and reveal in us any unresolved sin we need to confess and deal with before you? This is one of the reasons we do it. It's because of Jesus' instruction. You need to deal with your sin and you can't be right with God if you're not right with your brother. As much as depends on you, go and get it right. And you need to do it quickly. He then goes from the church house to the courthouse. Look at verse 25. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus, his first illustration is at the church house, at the temple. His second illustration of how you should respond when you realize you've got a root of anger, he takes us to the, the courthouse. He's saying you need to imagine that you have done someone wrong. Anger 
is involved. Words have been exchanged. And this other person believes you've wronged them and you've actually harmed them. And they're taking you to court. They're suing you for damages. Maybe you broke their property and they want you to pay for the property that you broke. Maybe you made them lose a job and they want you to pay so that they can be financially restored. Maybe you ruined their reputation and they're taking you to court to settle this matter once and for all and let the truth come out. And Jesus says, if that's you, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. He said, the best thing in your favor is to get things right with your brother as quickly as possible. Because if you're not going to get things right with your brother now, you're going to end up paying for what you've done. He says, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. It's a debtor's prison where you would be thrown in jail until your debt was paid in full, and then you would be let out. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, you're going to pay every penny when you've done someone wrong. The point he's making is not only get things right, be quick about it. Take the initiative. Be a man. Be a woman. Go and admit, I'm wrong. I did you wrong. What I said was wrong. How I treated you was wrong. And I want to make things right, if at all possible. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our lives if we would take the initiative to get things right? to be reconciled, to be restored to other people, to make amends to other people, to seek harmony with other people that we've done wrong, to actually ask for their forgiveness without making excuses. Well, you know I was mad, but, but when you said this, well, you know we Powells have a temper. That's not an apology. An apology is, I was wrong. I am sorry. And I hope you can forgive me. Is there anything I can do to make this right? That's an apology. Not making excuses. And Jesus says, do this quickly. Do this quickly. Others get the worst of you when you let anger get the best of you. But if you will let Jesus get the best of you, others will get the best of you. And listen, a follower of Jesus should be concerned about our personal relationships and dealing with our anger because a follower of Jesus is reconciled with God and should seek to be reconciled with other people. It was God who had a righteous indignation against me and against you for all the wrong that I've ever done. And God knows I will do in the future. And yet out of love and mercy and grace, He has forgiven me. And reconciled me to himself through the great sacrifice of his son Jesus. And if I truly understand that, if I truly appreciate that, then I will not only come to church praising God that I'm reconciled with God, I will also seek to be reconciled to other people. I can't control what other people do and how they respond to me. You can't control how other people treat you and how they respond to you. But as much as depends on you, the Bible says, Seek to live at peace with other people. Don't let your anger become a barrier in those relationships that will harm not only you, but harm other people. Think about how many marriages are broken because of unresolved anger. How many family relationships are strained because of anger and bitterness 
and words that wounded. How many friendships have been lost because we let anger get the best of us? How much of our society's ill can be traced back to anger towards other people who are different from us? Not where we attack philosophies. That's on the table. That's game. That's fair game. Thank God in America you've got free speech. Argue your side of the the case. Tell why you feel how you feel. But we cross the line when we seek to destroy people for their differences. And as followers of Jesus, that's off the table. Off the table for us. Now the world often does that to followers of Jesus. But that doesn't mean followers of Jesus ought to turn around and do the same thing. And here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for the words of Jesus. And we admit today that what he has told us is right. We know it deep down in our hearts. That to be a follower of Jesus is to be reconciled to God and to seek to be reconciled to others. And God, where we have failed and we've allowed anger in our lives to go unchecked, where we have said things we shouldn't have said, or we treated people in ways we have demeaned them, and we have lost sight of their dignity and the sanctity of human life, would you please forgive us? And God, rather than rehashing and rehearsing the reasons we were angry, the reasons we lost our temper, the reason we said this or that, just we ask for forgiveness. And that you would help us to refocus our eyes on Jesus as our example. Because God, we cannot live like this on our own. Only through Christ and Him living in us can we truly be reconciled to others. Help us, God, to be followers of Jesus. Not just in word, but in deed following his example. Father, if there's anyone in this room today or someone watching online who's never received Jesus as Savior, I pray that today they would turn from their sin, put their confidence in him as they ask for forgiveness of their sin and they trust in him who paid the price for that forgiveness and he paid it in full when he gave his life on the cross of Calvary. And so I pray that right now, whoever you might be, if you need Jesus as your Savior, just turn to him and say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying for me. I believe you arose from the dead. I believe you're alive now. And I believe you hear me as I call on your name. I turn to you as my Savior. I can't live the life you want me to live on my own. But you can come into my life 
and live your life through me. So I give you my life today. Father, thank you for the promise of Jesus in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I pray that whoever that is making that decision today would let me know. They'd call me, they'd text me, they'd fill out a connection card, they'd come to the front, whatever you would have them to do so that we can rejoice in them taking their next step with you. For the rest of us who have already done that, God, we rededicate ourselves to Christ and we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit and filling of your Spirit in our lives to go and live as Jesus would have us to live through his grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.